Let's welcome her. My middle name is Rose. Growing up, I thought it should be trouble because I was always in trouble. I got to know every principal in every school I went to really well. My brain just didn't seem to work like other people's brains. And back then, that was rather traumatic. It certainly distressed my mother. She'd been known to say on more than one occasion that she's quite sure the nurse dropped me on my head in the nursery. And now that I understand more about brain function, it doesn't disconcert me a bit. Every brain on the planet is different. Every brain is unique. The problem is we sometimes fail to appreciate our uniqueness until we're on our deathbed. So I hope that's not true for any of you. So I'm a preacher's kid. Any of you preacher's kids? Okay. Okay. Well, there's a few. Welcome to the club. <laughs> See, the bottom line is every, every church my father went to, you know, there's three to 500 members, all of whom know exactly what I should be doing to be okay. The trouble is none of them agreed with each other. So it was crazy-making. I can pinpoint my interest in humor and laughter and brain function. I was 11. My brain finds rote memorization extremely difficult. I can tell you almost the gist of almost everything that I've learned and studied about the brain, but rote memorization is just $100 per second compared to a dollar per second in other parts of my brain in terms of energy. My father, the preacher, thought I ought to memorize scripture, and I'm sure he was right. And he would make me memorize a new scripture every week. I'm not a morning person either. My brain doesn't even turn on till about 10 a.m. So I told Dr. French, don't schedule anything before 10 a.m. because I have no idea what I'll say. So it will go like this. Breakfast, I'd come out trying to keep my eyes open. And my father, who was wide awake at 5 a.m. his whole life, would say, good morning, Arlene. Morning, Dad. (laughs) Tell me what John 3.16 says. I think that's your verse for this week. And I would think and think, John 3.16, okay? I know it's the gospel of John 3.16. And eventually, I'd come up with something like, oh, I've got it. It says, God loved us a lot. And and my father would say, no, it doesn't. It says, for God so loved the world. It's exactly what I said. It's just different words. So we had this ongoing thing. So I'm 11. My father has been transferred to a new church. 
My brain is an ambivert, but it leans toward introversion. So back when I was 11, it was very difficult for me to walk into a new church and know that everybody was looking at me and wondering what I was like and so on. So my father took me and left me off in the youth room. I walked in. We were a little late. There was It was a good-sized room, chairs all around the room filled with teenagers. And I walked in, and the... Um, young man, enthusiastic but somewhat unenlightened, who was leading the group, stops whatever he was doing and says, oh, you're new. I thought, good for you. (laughs) He says, "Uh, let's see, we're not expecting anybody new today. You must be the preacher's kid. Oh, great. So he says, we have an empty chair over here. Please take it. So i got to walk clear across the room, sit down in the chair. Then he says, we were just getting ready to go around the group and have everybody say their favorite verse. Good. I'm going to make an idiot of myself before I've even met these people. And I don't know what happened in my brain. There was just a little switch that clicked. He had not said Bible verse. He had just said verse. And then he says, well, since you're new, let's start with you. So I heard myself saying this. My favorite verse goes like this. It's better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Hezekiah 13.13. I told you he was well-intentioned, but not too bright. He did not even know there was not a book of Hezekiah. So I'm sitting there dying inside because this is so funny. He's going, "Uh, yes, I, I think I have heard that text before. Not in this life. Uh, Yes, that's excellent. All right, next. I could hardly get through. Well, at the uh, after Sabbath school, he must have gone and found a Bible. He was literate enough to notice there was no book of Hezekiah. And so he went and talked to the new pastor (laughs) about his daughter. And when we got home, there was nothing to laugh about. (laughs) My father was not amused. But later on, some of the kids who'd been in that room came up to me and said, we laughed for a week about your verse. And I began to think, what's the difference? What makes some brains think something is funny and they're willing to laugh at it and other brains don't? And that really started my interest in brain function research about laughter and humor and what it does to the brain and the immune system. So I did a section on this last year, and I was asked to do another one this year, so I had to write all new material because somebody might have been here last year and actually might remember something. So it's all new. All right, let's start with brain benders first. Get your brain booted up like you'd boot up a computer. Top left. Looking up. Good. Second on the left. Split level, tri-level, third on the left. 
Bottom line, good job. Nails love the bottom line. Fourth on the left. The word is dance. Line dancing, there you go. Well, is there such a thing as try dancing? My brain goes, that would be three people dancing together. That could be interesting. Uh, Top right, word in a word. Count me in, I will definitely do so. Second on the left, I mean on the right. Absolutely. The twelfth of never. You know the song, Until the Twelfth of Never? I think it's from Camelot. Uh, Third on the right. Sitting on top of the world and fourth on the right. A break in the clouds. Good job. You're doing these so fast now. All right. Well, the first set we did was we slugged through it. I just reprinted the Brain Bender book and doubled the number of Brain Benders in it. I think there's 600 in it now. So uh, that's something you might write some yourself. You could write them, send them to me. I'll put them in my next book. All right. The reason I like to talk about gelatology, which is the science of what laughter does to the brain and immune system specifically is because the research is just wonderful. I mean, who knew that laughter could do what it does? And I hope you've already identified for yourself what you think is humorous. Because if you know that, I mean, you just got a leg up. You can always look for something that you know your brain likes, which will trigger laughter, which will help you live a long time. And we're going to talk about seven of the benefits that research says that laughter can do to the brain and the immune system. All right, here's a cutaway of the brain, top left. And this rind on the watermelon, so to speak, that's the cortex layer, the cerebrum. When you draw it out, you know, fissure down the middle, two hemispheres, fissure in each side, A sense of humor is located up here in your right frontal lobe behind your right eye. And there's a big chunk devoted to humor. So for the people who used to tell me as a girl that it was so significant that there were no pictures of Christ laughing and I ought to quit it, uh, now we realize that, at least my brain's opinion, is that we would not have such a big chunk of tissue up there in that right frontal lobe devoted to humor if we were not supposed to use it and if it would not be beneficial to health. It's very subjective because every brain is different, meaning what one person thinks is humorous, another person might not think is humorous at all. But you can hone your sense of humor and find other things funny that you didn't originally. You typically learn your sense of humor in your family of origin. So think back when you have some time about what humor was like in your home. My mother was half French, half Irish. My father was English. (laughs) They did not have the same sense of humor at all. I don't think I ever saw them laughing at the same time. You know, my father would be doubled over, tears running down his cheeks because he was a very funny man. And my mother's just looking at him with the deer in the headlights look. Or she'd be laughing and he'd be scratching his head and looking at us kids and saying, do either one of you have any idea what set her off this time? Just never got the same humor. 
You can appreciate humor with or without laughter, but here's the kicker. Humor in and of itself does very little for your brain and immune system, but used to trigger laughter, now mirthful laughter is what really gives you the benefits. Laughter is on the opposite side of the brain, on the left side of the brain. Humor is a mental faculty, meaning that every brain that's anywhere within the bounds of normal is born with the ability to develop a sense of humor, but you have to develop it. It doesn't happen on its own. Laughter is not a mental faculty. Laughter is just a sound. And it comes out of Brokaw's area, which is the same part of the brain where you have audible speech. You can laugh for any number of reasons. It's, you, you, can, you can talk with your laughter. You can laugh angrily or sadly or frantically or, sar- you know, did I say sarcastic? I mean, any, any kind of laughter you can think of can, can portray something almost as if you were speaking. But it's only mirthful laughter that gives you the benefits. What people think is humorous is very unique to their brain. And what your brain thinks is funny, according to research, is when there is a mismatch between what you were expecting and what really happened. And we all have expectations. We grow up with expectations. And when something happens outside of those expectations, that's what we perceive as funny. Therefore, Not everybody thinks the same things are funny. Have you ever found yourself being the only person in the room laughing? Happens to me all the time. You know, my brain thought something was funny. Nobody else does. So here's an example, and it's so simple. There may be 50 ways to leave your lover, but there are only four ways out of this plane. So I'm on South Southwest Airlines and the steward comes on and they're always doing something funny. I think this is a crack up. I start laughing. There's hardly anybody around me laughing. But it's a good example of what you don't expect. With this line, you don't expect them to be talking about a plane. So the other day I was talking to a group of physicians And I used this as an example, and I was trying to encourage them to use humor more with their patients. Heaven knows it would help them a lot. And I gave them this example, and one of the physicians said, Dr. Taylor, what kind of plane was it? I said it had wings and jets. What do you mean, what kind of plane is it? Well, he says, I have a little experience with aircraft, and I'd just like to know which one they were talking about. Now, that got funnier and funnier as he kept pushing me to tell him what kind of plane I was on. All right, so what do I find funny? Start identifying for yourselves what you think is humorous. I find anything that's unusual funny. And the English language, as far as I'm concerned, is just ripe for picking. It is no wonder that people struggle learning English. It's bad enough when you've got wind and wind and they're spelled the same. You know, or two or three types of there. 
Well, here's just a couple of examples that I think are just a hoot. We ship by truck and send cargo by ship. We have noses that run and feet that smell. We recite at a play and play at a recital. We have the alarm go off by going on. Have your house burn up as it burns down. And fill in a form by filling it out. Now just imagine, you're trying to learn this language. It's crazy making. I love limericks. You all know what limericks are. Tell me you know what limericks are. Okay. Well, if you don't know what a limerick is, it's a specific type of Irish verse. My mother loved it because she was Irish. Now, limericks, you have to wrote memorize. You cannot give the gist of a limerick. And because I knew she loved limericks so much, I worked so hard to learn a couple of limericks for her. She knew my brain, came home, I must have been about seven. And I may have told you this last year, but I love these limericks, so I'm telling you again. I came home, I was about seven, and I said, Mom, I learned two limericks. She looks at me and she goes, word for word. I said, uh-huh. All right, she said, let's hear one. So I told her the first one, and it went like this. There once was a man named Hall who fell in the spring in the fall. It would have been a sad thing had he died in the spring, but he didn't. He died in the fall. <laughs> she goes, that's kind of a sad limerick. What's the other one? So I told her the other one, and she got mad. And she said, that's a dirty limerick. Don't ever say that again. All right, when you tell somebody don't do something, what goes into working memory? <laughs> okay, so I know that one much better than the first one. And this is how that one goes. <laughs> there once was a man named Hyde who fell in the outhouse and died. Unfortunately, his brother fell in the other, and now they're interred side by side. <laughs> I was 11 before I knew how to spell interred. So here's a couple more. Said an envious erudite ermine, there's one thing I cannot determine. When a girl wears my coat, she's a person of note. When I wear it, I'm called only vermin. There was a young lady named Rose who had a huge wart on her nose. When she had it removed, her appearance improved, but her glasses now perch on her toes. So I've got dozens of limericks at home, and they, they tickle my funny bone. All right, so I've got seven benefits of laughter. From current research, the first one is that it functions as aerobic exercise for your internal body organs. Who knew? Twenty seconds of mirthful laughter gives your heart the same workout as three minutes of hard rowing on a rowing machine. So just imagine, you don't even have to climb on the machine. You could be a couch potato and work your heart out just by laughing. It jiggles your internal organs, and that's supposedly very, very good for it. 
so I bought myself a jiggle machine. It's one of those machines like they use in space because of no gravity and it helps bone density and so on. So I've used it about a year. I hop on it for about 10 minutes every day and it jiggles and I try to laugh while I'm jiggling. So I get double the benefit. Um, people pay money to come to my house and watch me jiggle. But in the last year, I have raised my bone density by 1.1. So there does seem to be something about that. So that's a good thing. All right, so that's the first thing. It's aerobic exercise for your internal organs. One of the things that I have done working for Adventist Health is if a chart needed to go to court for any reason, they wanted me to look it over first because it gets blown up, you know, on you know, a wall is big, and you really don't want to make them think that everybody who charts is an idiot. So we want to go through it first, and sometimes people get tired and sleepy, and they, they, what they write is not what they meant. So I've done a lot of that. And I've copied some of my favorite, what I call, chart bloopers for you. Since she can't get pregnant with her husband... I thought you might like to take over the case and see what you can do. <laughs> we changed that before I got to court. You know, we're talking about a couple of OBGYNs, but who would know that on the jury by the way this was written? The patient appears to have a rather unusual case of chicken pops. That's a new disease. Please feed patient only when awake. Well, that's kind of ambiguous. Are they talking about the nurse or the patient? The patient lives at home with his mother, father, and pet turtle, who is presently enrolled in daycare three times a week. Do you have daycare for turtles in Australia? The patient left the hospital feeling much better, except for her original complaints. We will watch her diarrhea very closely. Patient has two teenage children, but no other abnormalities. Patient states he doesn't want to be incubated. When she fainted, her eyes rolled around the room several times. All right. Benefit number two. It changes the chemical composition in your brain. You know, your brain is a pot of chemical stew. We talked about that earlier this week. Sixty chemicals or so. Think of them each as a seasoning. And when you laugh, you change the relative amounts of some of those chemicals and actually give your brain a high and that's really healthy for you it's positive self-medication and it's one of the few things these days that doesn't cost anything because you can do it anytime you choose to uh, no prescription oh it burns calories any of you that need to drop a pound a kilo or two well you might want to start laughing more I love this, cholesterol, fat, and gluten-free. 
you can use it anywhere, anytime. Has almost no side, negative side effects. Every once in a while, you find somebody who has a predisposition to some type of electrical uh, seizures in the brain. Uh, you have to be really careful how much they laugh because they can just seize all over the planet if they laugh too much. <laughs> I told you my dad was a preacher. So, on a really slow day at church, it was always fun to look through the bulletin because most of the secretaries were volunteers, bless their dear hearts. But you can never proof your own work, ever. You have to have someone else proof it because your brain sees what it wanted to have there, not what is already there. And so I've got quite a collection of, of bulletin bloopers. A warm welcome to all who are sitting in a pew today. Barbara remains in the hospital. She is having great trouble sleeping and requests tapes of the pastor's sermons. Applications are now being accepted for two-year-old nursery workers. During the absence of our minister, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when J.F. Stubbs supplied our pulpit. The choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. The ladies of the church have cast off clothing of every kind, and they can be seen in the church basement on Friday afternoon. The Diet Club will meet Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Please use the large double door at the side entrance. Would the congregation kindly remember that the box marked for the sick is for financial contributions only? Number three, benefits of laughter. It's really effective stress management. You know, we have, we have research from PET scan studies that it is impossible to be mirthfully laughing or grateful and be fearful at the same time. So if you feel stressed and things aren't going well, it's a wonderful stress management technique. There's something called the 2080 rule. It comes from work by a man named Epictetus who was a Greek philosopher. Uh, I'd like to point out he lived in the second century because if I don't point that out, someone's going to come up, you know, especially if I say I spent some time in Greece and was studying about Epictetus's writing, and they'll come up to me and they say, did you meet him? <laughs> second century. But he was brilliant. I don't know how he figured this out. He, this is basically what he said. Anytime you have an event or situation, if there's any negative impact to your brain and body, only 20% of that is due to the event. 80% is due to what you think about the event, how much weight you give it, how much importance you give it. And that's critically important for stress management because when bad things happen, You'll have some negative effect to the brain and body, but 20% is nothing compared to 80%. And you 
do everything about the 80% depending on how important you think this event is. So I've learned to ask myself, in a year, will it make any difference whatsoever? And if it won't make any difference, I'm not pumping any adrenaline now. If it will make a difference in 12 months, then I'll look at it and decide how I need to approach it. But the 20-80 rule is really helpful for me. So what does it do? It decreases cortisol, your stress hormone. We all need some cortisol, but if you get too much, it actually starts killing brain cells. So effective stress management is critical. So it decreases cortisol and epinephrine as well, which reduces the negative effects, especially on brain cells, because it's your first body organ to recognize a stressor, and it's very, very susceptible to stress. And laughter also stimulates the body to repair damage from the effects of mismanaged emotions. And many of us mismanage emotions until we understand what they are and they're different from feelings and what we can do about it. Chart bloopers. Hourly observation should be taken at least every half hour. <laughs> at the beginning of the appointment, the patient should be taken into the treatment room where a member of the nursing staff will get familiar with him. Encourage the patient to eat. If he does not, supplement his diet with smacks. I calm the patient down by quietly calling her names over and over again for several minutes. Patient repeatedly bit her head with her hands. Patient states her duties included cleaning the restrooms and seating the customers. <clears throat> that one tickles me. I don't know what kind of pictures you make in your head, but... The patient experienced sudden onset of severe shortness of breath at home while having sex, which gradually deteriorated in the emergency room. That might have been a good day to be on duty. <laughs> the baby was delivered, the cord clamped and cut, and handed to the pediatrician who breathed and cried immediately. Four, enhance learning. I wish I had had one teacher in Canada who knew this. It was a, you know, the British system of education is really pretty phenomenal. And most of the British Empire countries have some remnants of that. But it was serious business. And I'm constitutionally incapable of not laughing at the ridiculous stuff that happens in life, which I was always going to see the principal. None of my teachers laughed in class. They didn't want any of us to laugh. And now we know that laughter during class while you're learning can put the information right into long-term memory. You don't even have to try to put it there. It just goes there automatically. It increases the likelihood you're just going to push it right into long-term memory. Such a deal. Laugh and move it in there and then you got a lot of free time. 
It also increases the ability to recall it again. I mean, who knew? Uh, it helps the brain upshift. You know, when the brain is fearful, anxious, it tends to move its energy and intention and energy and attention basically to the subconscious parts of the brain which don't help you learn and so it can help get you upshifted again it certainly makes the time pass more quickly good grief you know I've had a couple of wonderful professors when I was been working on some of my doctorate studies time just goes by really quickly when they say things in a humorous way or tell jokes about the material I mean goodness we need to get a clue. Tuesday at 4 p.m., there will be an ice cream social. All ladies giving milk, please come early. <laughs> Next Friday, the church will be serving hot gods for lunch. Ushers will eat all latecomers now. The Outreach Committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not yet afflicted with any church. <laughs> Annual Church Family Fest Dinner. Turkey $4, chicken $3.50, and a special children $2. <laughs> Thank you to all who contributed to the purchase of a new bull for the steeple bell. There will be a blessing of expectant parents on Sunday after the services. All expectant parents, please go to the front pews and wail for the pastor. Miss <laughs> Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again to the obvious pleasure of the entire congregation. <laughs> Number five. Mirthful laughter boosts endorphin production. You know that endorphins are your brain's natural morphine, and they beat out anything anybody tries to take externally as an addictive substance. Those endorphins help relieve aches and pains, and they strengthen natural killer cells, which are an integral part of your immune system. They're their, your you know, elite hand-to-hand -hand combat fighters and really keep you healthy. Now, the effects to the immune system of laughter can be measured. Multiple studies about that. I'll just give you one quick example. They took a group of 2,000 medical students who had finished half of their medical studies, and then you have to take this big, hairy, I don't know, four to six hour long exam. And if you pass it, you go on to finish medicine. If you don't, you go back and repeat some stuff. So they brought them together, and they were going to start taking this exam. <laughs> the first time I told people about this study, I said to, they had them spit in a cup, and then they analyzed the saliva. And a very astute young man on the front pew said, well, how did they know whose spit belonged to who? Good point. So I need to point out that there were 2,000 students, there were 2,000 cups. Each person spit in their own cup. And then they analyzed how much immune globulin A was in their saliva, and they 
put a point on a, on a, a line graph. Then they had them take the test and they left and when they were all scored, they brought them back and I don't remember hearing anything about anybody that failed. Maybe some did, but they just said they gave them their results and um, that meant they passed, at least most of them. And now they had them handed out cups again, got another saliva sample and tested it for the amount of IgA that was in the saliva. And it uniformly, from the initial point, was up 45 degrees. The, the amount of IgA in the saliva was that boosted just by the fact that they knew they passed and the stress was relieved. Then they took a, a, another group and they had them do a saliva sample and then they had them watch a funny movie for an hour and encouraged them to laugh. At the end of the movie, they got another saliva sample, and it was boosted again at a 45-degree angle. They kept taking saliva samples of these people who just watched the funny movie for 24 hours. The least amount of time that their immune system was strengthened and the IgA was up was 12 hours. At the end of 24 hours, when they quit having them spit in the cup, there were still some people whose immune system was boosted. So if you want to be healthy after exam week, instead of collapsing with a cold and the flu, you got to do a lot of laughing during exam week because it's stressful taking exams, and you can counteract that a bit with a lot of laughter. One of the premier... Uh, researchers in the United States is a man named Dr. Lee Burke. He happens to be at Loma Linda University. I grew up with Leroy in Canada when I was a girl. And let me tell you, he was a, he was a boil on the little landscape of my life because I had a very temporary crush on his older brother. And he was everywhere. I mean, he was like a chameleon. If I ever tried to talk to his brother, he was right there giggling. <laughs> and occasionally we'd talk on the phone and we'd hear this little click. And we knew that Leroy had picked up the extension. And pretty soon we'd hear, <laughs> did he think we weren't going to hear? So I, I was not enamored of Leroy. And maybe he's doing better now that he dropped the Roy because it's now Dr. Lee Burke and he's doing fabulous research on laughter, gelatology. And this is one of the things he found. Just anticipating a humor or laughter event initiates positive changes in neuroendocrine responses prior even to the event itself. So how they do that is they tell people, okay, spit in a cup, we'll get your IgA level. And then they say, okay, um, the next, in the next hour, we're going to have a stand-up comedian come and put a, on a program for us. And just before the stand-up comedian does his thing, and by the way, all of the really good ones are males, that's one of the things that males do a lot better than females. Females, they're just not as funny as men are. Men are five times funnier than women. Uh, I mean, we could do a whole uh, we could do a whole program on how funny men are statistically. 
And they are. Uh, in some in some studies, out of 400 humor episodes, they were responsible for 396. And, you know, they're all laughing and boosting their health. And of those 396 episodes, the women who were present didn't even understand what was going on most of the time. Because women just don't get male humor unless they study it. But it's become critically important in the States. You can now go to almost any university and take a course on how to understand male humor. So when I come back next April, I want to do a section for you on the difference between male and female humor. Because women are depressed more than men. You know, eight women at least, or nine to every male who's depressed. Lots more women are depressed. So if you could just learn to appreciate male humor, I mean, it's everywhere, and, and hopefully you wouldn't be so depressed. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, so so they took this second sample just before the, the stand-up comedian started to do anything, and, and their IGA was already boosted, just anticipating doing that. So if you're going to do anything that you think is going to provide some laughs, tell people ahead of time, because they'll already start revving up their immune system. Discharge status, alive but without my permission. <laughs> the patient has been depressed since she began seeing me in 1993. patient was strongly encouraged to insult her doctor if she didn't feel better in a couple of days. The patient was in his usual state of good health until his plane ran out of gas and crashed. The damage was severe. <laughs> to him or the plane, it's not very clear. The patient has no previous history of suicide. And these are people who went to school for 16 years, folks. She is numb from her toes down. <laughs> Patient is a young male found in an alley by a policeman who is unconscious. <laughs> After I worked her over, another doctor was called in to splint her leg and stitch up her nose. <laughs> The woman has been married seven times. She got richer by decrees. Patient had a close call. He fell in his well and almost kicked the bucket. Patient stated she'd been constipated for most of her life until she got a divorce. All right. Do you think that's real? You better believe it's real. Laughter triggers the secretion of enzymes that help you avoid constipation. I kind of glossed over that in some of my lectures until I was doing an annual convention for people who work with the very elderly. How old do you have to be to be considered very elderly? 85. 
So I was talking, it's a different set of slides, I was talking about what you can do to help the elderly find more humor in life. And there was one little piece that said, mealtime should be the happiest time of the day. You ought to take time to eat, take time to laugh, because laughter secretes not only digestive enzymes that help you digest your food, but that also help you avoid constipation. I really hadn't paid much attention to that part of it. And on the front row, this woman elbowed the man next to her and goes, we got to start laugh clubs at the retirement center. We just have to. (laughs) And I don't know if I would do that uh, now, but back then I said, obviously you've had a aha moment. Do you want to share that with the group? So she runs up, grabs my mic, so we know she's extroverted. And she said, um, well, you may not know this, Dr. Taylor, but the number one concern of the very elderly is have they pooped today? <laughs> she said, we walk through the retirement center and it's, do you know if I've pooped today? Uh, Could you give me something so that I could poop today? She said, we're so sick of the poop word. She says, we're going to go back and we're going to develop laugh clubs and see if we can do something with all this constipation. So, you know, start planning now to laugh then and you'll have a healthier life. (laughs) Number six, it speeds up metabolism and burns calories. Who knew? That may be one of the reasons that males don't quite struggle as much with weight as females do, because they stand around and tell each other hysterical short stories that women call them jokes. And they laugh at them, the men. And so they burn more calories. So women, if you need to drop some weight, think about that. A hundred laughs is equal to the energy that you would expend in 10 minutes again on this rowing machine. A vigorous laugh burns as many calories per hour as brisk walking or cycling. Now, brisk walking or cycling is going to give you some more cardiovascular benefits. But again, you could be a couch potato and be burning calories. If you're just laughing, laughing for 10 to 15 minutes a day can burn up to 50 calories, which is the amount in in an average chocolate bar. And so if you started laughing for 10 to 15 minutes a day, you drop almost four and a half pounds in a year. What is that? Two kilos? So I had a lady come up to me after one of the presentations and say, you know, I'm going to laugh for 15 minutes a day and I'm going to quit eating my chocolate bar and I'll be nine pounds lighter at the end of this year. And she probably will be. All right, for a few more bullet and bloopers. We are always happy to have you sue our new facility. Come tonight and hear missionary Bertha Belch all the way from Africa. Services are held at 11 and 6.30. Come early in order to get a wood seat. Please, the audience is asked to remain seated until the end of the recession. It's been going on for a lot of years in the States now. The board reminds members that the church is against extortion and youth in Asia. (laughs) 
someone may, you know, some people may not know what euthanasia is, but believe me, um, I lost it in the church when I read that in the bulletin. The nursery committee requests discussion of providing cages for child care workers. If you need to heave during the organ recessional, please do so as quietly as possible. (laughs) Evening massage begins at 6 p.m. By all means, come and bring a friend or two with you. Today's visiting monster is the very right Reverend Jack Baines. And the last one. It functions as an antidepressant. You know, we alluded to that, but it really does. Just changing your facial muscles into a smile. There seems to be some connection between your facial muscles and your internal pharmacy. And smiling just has the pharmacist kick out a few of those really lovely chemicals. And when you laugh, you even get more of them. Babies laugh 200 times a day, and they're sleeping most of the time, so that's a lot of laughing when they're awake. Children laugh 400 times a day. This is pathetic. Adults laugh. Eight times, smile eight times a day and laugh maybe 15 on average, so you know some people aren't laughing at all. That's pathetic. So how much do you need Researchers say that adults need a minimum of 30 laughs a day to be healthy. Growing up as a preacher's kid, my impression is there were a lot of well-meaning, completely unenlightened members who thought that being a Christian was serious business because life is hard and then you die and there's nothing funny about that. And in many of the churches, the good brethren and sisters, you could look at their face. I I used to think, you know, if they were to laugh, their face would crack just like plaster. And some of them were not very healthy. And now we, I think Christians should be laughing all the time. Because more than anybody else on the planet, we're supposed to have the understanding that God loves us, and all we have to do is accept his free gift of salvation, that's good news. And we should be laughing, because I think, I think God has a dynamite sense of humor. I mean, just look at us. And it's even more apparent in Australia than the United States. Robin Priestley took me out somewhere today looking at kangaroos. And it's the first time, I guess I've never been here before, when the little joeys were, you know, big enough to hop out of the pouch and then hop back in. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not a female kangaroo. But it was fun to just sit there and watch them. And, you know, there'd be this mother standing there with these little dangly things that are supposed to be arms. I mean, go figure. Do you think God created kangaroos or are they an amalgamation? It's such a fascinating study for me. And all of a sudden, oop, out pops this little head looking around at this weird person from America. 
And then some of them will actually come out and then something happens and they take a nosedive back in and then there's all these long legs sticking out. And the mother just kind of readjusts herself. I hope there's no nerves in that whatever. But, I mean, just look around. You have such fascinating creatures here. Um, and many of them have four legs. Now, here's, here's the other piece. Very happy people average between 100 and 400 laughs a day. How many do you need? 30. But people who are judged to be very happy, who are usually very healthy, and incidentally often very long-lived, laugh between 100 and 400 times a day. Takes 15 muscles to laugh, 26 to frown. Just think of all those poor souls who are putting out all that energy to frown. Takes much less energy to smile and laugh. Okay, we're going to finish up with just a couple slides because I love to, I love, you know, every year in the United States, some journalism society picks the top headlines of the year. And, and I, I'm under the impression that most of those journalists went to college. But I'll tell you, when you read the headlines, you wonder. One-armed man applauds kindness of strangers. <laughs> Statistics show that teen pregnancy drops off significantly after age 25. <laughs> Federal agents raid gun shop and find weapons. <laughs> Scores of caskets found as workers demolish mausoleum. Army vehicle worth $74,000 has gone missing after being painted with camouflage. Volunteers search for old Civil War airplanes. Are any of you history majors? Figure that one out. Wilbur Wright was not even a gleam in his father's eye yet. Typhoon rips through cemetery. Hundreds believed dead. Hospitals sued by seven-foot doctors. So, periodically people come up to me and say, well, that research is all well and good, but there's nothing to laugh about in my life, and I beg to differ. If you're healthy enough to laugh at yourself, you've got an unending supply unending supply. You know, in my case, I'm just always blurting out something that I don't know where it came from. I told you, it disconcerted my mother. But you just, you know, go on because, and then I laugh about it later. I told I don't know if it was yesterday, it was maybe yesterday, I was talking about the fact that research, and I forgot to tell you, get up and move around anytime you want to when I'm talking. 
because the research is 50% of brains learn best, if they learn at all, when they're standing and moving. And, and that's not how we're taught in school. So I was talking to 250 psychiatrists, teaching them, hopefully, to use humor with their patients. And that's a tough crowd. And so I wanted to do something to try to keep them awake. So I bought 250 of those little gray, squeezy brains and came in, brought the boxes in, asked a couple of guys if they could help me pass out brains to everybody. And I said, I brought each one of you a brain. And then I went on to say, if you feel the least bit sleepy, please just start squeezing your brain because that might be enough motion to keep you awake because there's only so much a man can do with his hands in public. I have no idea where that came from. None whatsoever. And there was, there was a, a moment of, did she just say what I thought she said? And fortunately, they started laughing, and most of them stayed awake. Okay, so people come up and say, there's nothing to laugh about, and I beg to differ with that. Because the more you laugh, the brain loves congruence, and the more you laugh and you look for things that are humorous, the more your brain searches its memory banks to see what else you found funny in life. And pretty soon, almost everything is funny. And it's a wonderful way to live. And there's a fabulous piece in the book of Job. I happen to really like the book of Job. You know, I sort of identified with him, not in the fact that I ever had any kind of, you know, boils or stuff like that. But, you know, I thought... I felt very sorry for myself growing up as a preacher's kid. And I really did identify with Job. And there's a, there's a statement in there. Your mouth will yet be filled with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. And that's a promise. So for people who don't think any, they have anything to laugh about, they do. They just need to look for it because it's absolutely everywhere. So the question is, are you a happy person who chooses to laugh, and are you getting anywhere up near the 400 times a day? And I really encourage you to strive for that. Because now is the time for your mouth to be filled with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. And your health depends on it. And you hold that in your hand. Let's pray. Dear God, my brain's opinion is that you would not have put such a big chunk of tissue related to humor in the right frontal lobe if we were not supposed to use it a lot. And you would not have given us the wonderful gift of laughter that is as catching as yawning. I ask you to help us hone our sense of humor. 
to choose to laugh, to be joyful, healthy Christians. Thank you, in Christ's name. Amen.